Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. In the fourth chapter of Mark, starting in the 35th verse, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he He was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped, and Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. We're on a journey, aren't we? Every one of us. It doesn't make any difference if you're a Christian or not. We're on a journey. A journey. And in this story, they were going to the other side. So what good is a journey without a purpose? Yet, I believe that there are a number of people on their life's journey that don't understand their purpose. They're going, but they're not sure where they're going. Maybe not even sure why they're going. So do you understand where you are going on your journey? Do you have a purpose? Do you have a specific destination in mind in your life? Now, it seems like most people do believe that there is some sort of a supposed purpose to life. Some direction for their life. Christian or non-Christian. Christians especially, yes. That's understandable. Non-Christians they still seem to believe, for the most part, that life has a purpose and a specific direction. You've probably heard people use terminology that refers to that. They say things like, well, it was just meant to be. You ever heard anybody that was not even Christian use language like that? And do you wonder when they say that, you know, what is behind that kind of a non-Christian philosophy, it was just meant to be. What do you mean it was meant to be? The throw of the dice? The alignment of the planets? What do you mean it was meant to be? Your DNA? What was it meant to be? I understand it as a Christian. I don't understand without a Christian background what it means to say it was meant to be. Who meant it to be that? And who's in charge? And who's forcing these things to happen? Have you heard anybody say, even if they're not a Christian, I believe I have found my calling. Well, who was calling him? And then other people, again, that might use a phrase that says, I'm just trying to figure out what I am supposed to be doing with my life. According to who? 
But we use this language because somehow it's, it's just kind of in our DNA, I suppose, that somehow there is an overarching blueprint for everybody. And I'm not sure who that blueprint is always attributed to. I guess people just assume that everyone's life comes with a master plan. And our duty is to discover that plan and somehow fit into it. But it's very odd that these comments can be made without specifically acknowledging God. Now, there was a site I went to on the Internet as I researched this about finding your purpose in life. And this is a self-help guide for finding and fulfilling your purpose. So I, I just want to go over this very quickly with you to show how this works outside of understanding there is a creator, there is a God overall. So with, with that completely absent from the equation, here are the steps that one would use to find your purpose in life. Step one, identify your life themes. In other words, assess what you care most about life. Step number two, reflect on your life themes. How are these themes already a part of your life? How would you make them a part of your life if you had the money and the resources to do so? Step three, find the why behind your themes. Why are you passionate about the things you are passionate about? What is it about these themes that really get you pumped up? Try to understand why you are motivated by these things that you are interested in. Next, explore your master ingredients. That is, identify the ingredients of your area of mastery. The people, the things, the places, the activities, the experiences, the talents, the ideas that you love to work with and think about. And step number five, then sit down and create yourself a life purpose statement. Now, they've walked you through, supposedly, without God, how to find purpose in your life. And when I get to the end of that, myself having a relationship with God and relying on Him, I think you've gone in a circle. I, I don't feel like at the end of that you found any real true purpose. You're on a journey, but you really don't know where you're going and who charted it for you. And that's all well and good. I mean, the, the things that they have suggested are, are nice things to think about. But it pales in comparison to the Christian concept of living a purpose-filled life through Jesus Christ. This is so far superior to this other formula that has been given to people. This five-step recipe helps you to chart your own course, more or less based on your own assessments and your own desires, and all of this based on some belief that buried in there somewhere, there's a purpose. But in this reading of this, this story, it said, Christ said to them, let's go to the other side. Now, he had a purpose. He established the direction. He set the agenda. And I think by application, you understand that in my life, Christ sets the agenda for my life. Sometimes I don't personally know where I'm going, but Christ knows. How many of you have been there? He didn't always show you today's plan, tomorrow's plan, or this year's plan. But you know that he's got 
something set for you. So this successful journey in Christ begins with good planning. That means for the Christian, taking comfort in knowing, not that I'm planning my life specifically outside of reference to God, but that I am framing everything I do in reference to God. My business is to make sure that I love him and honor him. His business, then, is to take care of me. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And we read that, and there are a few different ways of interpreting that, even the translations, different translations you may have of that. Uh, The end of that says, when he delights in his way. And there's some dispute or debate, I suppose, about who the he is, who the personal pronouns refer to. We could say when he, the person, the man, delights in his way, or we could say when he, God, delights in the man's way. So they're not quite sure how that reads, but either way it doesn't do any damage to the essence of the verse. The English Standard Version, which I read, says the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. The NIV says the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. So they take the approach that if a man delights in the Lord, then God is ordering your steps. So if that is the true rendering, and it certainly makes theological sense, My job is to delight in the Lord. My job is to serve Him, to keep Him number one, to honor Him every day. Then God takes care of me. He charts my course for me. So when we say we believe in God as the one who directs our life, who has this purpose for us, who leads us, we are saying that because of our personal commitment to God and our relationship with Him, He is every day preparing our path for us. We don't have to be left in confusion. God directs the path of the godly. Can you trust him to do that? Then we come to this part of the story where they get in the boat, they set across the Sea of Galilee, and we have this unexpected storm. How many of you ever met, metaphorically, an unexpected storm? in your life. The week started off great. But before it was up, you were embroiled in something you did not see coming. The day started off great. It ended terrible. The squall arose and your life was thrown off track just in a moment's notice. That's the unexpected storms of life. You start off and there's no signs of trouble just looks like clear sailing. And then all of a sudden, the storm comes, and it slams you. It could just be a telephone call that turns your entire life around. Yesterday, you felt great. Today, you get the shocking report from your doctor. Yesterday, life was smooth sailing. Today, you get the pink slip. Or you get the news that a loved one is suddenly passed away, or somebody's been in a terrible accident. But Jesus gives us peace. 
not the kind of peace that we find manufactured by man down here. Not the fake stuff. You can buy fake peace in a bottle down at the package store. But it doesn't really endure. It doesn't really do the job, does it? It just numbs you. People trying to find peace in a syringe, peace in a pill. But the peace that comes through Jesus Christ that defies human explanation, that peace holds us steady and calm when our world is falling apart. When your boat is tossed in this storm, the peace that, like Jesus, enables you to lay your head on the pillow and sleep. Peace that passes all understanding. What we're pitching to you, what we are promoting, what we are offering, is something that is so valuable, so precious, that you would wonder why people are not beating down the door to get this. Is there any living person that doesn't want peace in their life? Peace in their home? Peace in their marriage? Is there really anybody that enjoys turmoil? We want it. We need it. And it's unattainable except through Jesus Christ. There is no lasting peace. There is no perfect peace except from the man of peace, the prince of peace. He is peace. He not only gives peace, he is peace. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace. Now, the peace speaker, he understands peace like nobody else. He is not only capable of giving the peace, he will keep that peace solid and sure. He is reliable. It's unexplainable. I know some of you have been in these kinds of situations where by every estimate, you know you should be losing your head. You should be panicked. But God gave you a peace that just settled you down. And your friends say, how do you do this? There's no bragging rights, is there? I can't do it. But through Jesus Christ, I have a peace that passes all understanding. This scene was described by Mark in vivid detail. It was Christ's idea to get on the boat and go to the other side. It was his plan. At one point, the disciples began to think it was a bad plan. Even though it was his idea, they didn't think it was such a hot idea whenever the storm came up. But not only was it his idea, but understanding how Jesus operated, we know it was also his perfect timing. He wasn't surprised by the storm. Do you believe with me that when Jesus got on the boat, he knew exactly what they were going into? Do you believe that he knew there was a storm that would come out of nowhere and take them, and he got on the boat anyway? He wasn't surprised by it. It was his plan. It was his timing. It was his purpose. He's never...
never caught off guard. He's ahead of everything. Now, the first thing I want to suggest to you is, first of all, God doesn't need a report from you. But we give him reports all the time. We spend much of our prayer time informing God. Have you ever thought about that? How many times have you spent your prayer time giving God an update on what just happened on your life? It's a total waste of time. Did you ever occur to you that by the time you go to prayer and try to tell him what's happening in your life, it's old news to him? Did you ever consider before it ever happened to you, it was old news to him? Yet we sit down and tell God like he was missing. Well, I'm going to catch you up on what happened to me, God, today. Why do we waste time giving God any updates? For some odd reason, we think we need to keep him informed. So we have these briefing sessions so God stays current. Just skip the reports and get down to business. Then what are we praying about if we're not telling God what's wrong with us? Well, there's a number of things to pray about. Are you hurting? Are you confused? Are you discouraged? Are you exhausted? Just ask him for help. It's so simple. He doesn't need a full report. He just needs you coming to him and surrendering and saying, God, you know, I need help. And I'm asking for help. That's a child going to his father and saying, help me. You know, one of the most touching things that I remember in in my life is whenever raising our little boys... And as they were just growing from babies into childhood, at some point, when one of my boys needed me, as just just babies, maybe just beginning to, to crawl, learning to walk, somewhere around that stage, and at some point, the baby needs help and does this. ever had your child do that? And I can see it just as clear in my mind. My child is reaching up for me, needing help, needing comfort, just wanting to be held by dad, needing something. Oh, man, that that is phenomenal. You and your wife bring this child into this world, and you watch them develop, and then one day, I need you. Can you imagine how God feels when you come to him and you just say, I need you. I need you, God. And God says, I know. Just waiting for you to figure that out. And God's there for you. Number two, not only does God not need your reports, God doesn't need your sarcasm. This furious squall, as the one translation put it, this furious squall explodes suddenly upon the boat. The wind is driving large waves that are swamping the boat, and the men cannot 
bail fast enough to stay ahead of the water, they are being flooded in the boat, and it looks inevitable in just a few minutes this boat is going to go down, and they will be swimming in this storm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Needless to say, they know how dangerous it is. They fear for their life. They think it's over. It's done. It's finished. They're fighting this losing battle against this violent storm, and amazingly, miraculously, with all the noise of the storm and the busy commotion of the panicked crew trying to bail the water and screaming out to one another and the boat taking on water and sloshing about, the boat rocking and heaving like a bucking bronco, Jesus is asleep. And I think with all my heart, this annoyed the disciples. How can you sleep? Nobody can sleep in this. Get up and worry with us. They actually had to wake him up. They had to wake him up. He wasn't going to wake up for this. This was a non-essential. Wake me up when there's something essential. But this storm on the boat is a non-essential. They woke him up. And what they said is, don't you care that we're about to drown? He doesn't need your sarcasm. He doesn't need your bitterness. But we've probably all been guilty of getting just a little bit snippy with God when we've had it up to here. Go to him in prayer. Well, God, it doesn't seem like you're listening to me. Lord, I don't think you really care or you would have done something. Like we're trying to shame God into getting motivated. God, do you really love me? To question God. To question his love. It's unacceptable. But we do that. We get frustrated with God. We get annoyed because he's resting while the storm is brewing down here. He's unexcited when we're excited. He's not panicked when we're panicked. And it upsets us because he's not responding like we respond. We would rather God be wringing his hands and sitting there with us going, woe is me, whatever are we going to do? Because I think in our misery, we love company. So we cry out these sarcastic things. God, can't you see I'm struggling down here? Well, of course he can see. Don't you care that I'm overwhelmed and I'm just about to give up? Well, of course he cares. God doesn't need our sarcasm. He just needs us to love him and to trust him and to cry out for help. Help us, God. Now, he's not offended by that. I need you, God. So they have this this special person on board. He's the peace speaker. Aren't they privileged to have the peace speaker on board just for occasions like this? You know, the only time recorded in the Bible specifically that Jesus slept 
is this story. That doesn't mean that Jesus didn't sleep. And I've heard the questions before. They're, they're kind of, I want to say silly questions, but I don't want to embarrass anybody if you just got through asking that. But people will ask these questions. If God, if Jesus was God, did he eat or sleep? If Jesus was God, why did he have to eat or sleep? And, you know, theologically, that's just, uh, that's way down in the basement. That's, we, we don't even, we don't begin to, but... Some people still are, are at that level. They, they don't understand the, the simple concept of the Christ man, God incarnate. They don't understand that. He was God. Jesus was God. But he took on the form of a human being. He took on the body. The body that he had was like your body. It suffered pain from injuries. He got weak from hunger. He got weary from lack of rest. The body that you have, that you experience all of these things, is the same kind of body that Jesus had. So yes, he ate, and yes, he slept, but the difference was that he was so disciplined that he didn't do near as much eating as you. Or sleeping, because he spent a lot of much very valuable time when he could have been sleeping, praying. So he made himself, he disciplined himself, and he was tired, and he was weary, but he pressed on. And he was hungry, but he pressed on. That's the only difference is not that he didn't need sleep, but he denied himself because he was so disciplined. So the peace speaker is here. And he's sleeping. And the disciples cry out to him, don't you care? Wake up. And Jesus awakens and speaks to the elements, the wind and the waves, specifically the Bible says. And your King James Bible says, peace, be still. The NIV says, quiet, be still. How many of you would like that gift? Working with kids, how many would like that gift? Just wave your hand and say, quiet, be still, and a hush, a holy hush. Just comes over the whole place. Now, Jesus speaks to wind and waves. And we're not used to seeing people do that. That's not common behavior today. We don't see people quite often going out and rebuking a tornado that's coming at them. They usually run. We don't see people rebuking violent storms. Now, my wife and I were camping back on the 4th of July weekend. And we did pretty good until Saturday night, Sunday morning, 2 o'clock Sunday morning. And there was a violent 
lightning thunderstorm that came and we were in our tent. And a tent doesn't seem like it offers quite enough protection when you're in the midst of that kind of a storm. And that would have been a real handy time to be able to stand up and say, Peace, be still, then just go back to sleep. It could be so handy. But it didn't work like that. (laughs) But Jesus can. And the amazing thing about it is that these, these elements, wind and waves, responded to his command. Better than we do sometimes. We, the thinking, animated, breathing, living, emotion-filled people, that God can command winds and waves, and without question, they obey. And we resist, and we kick, and we complain. We'd be better off being rocks and wind and waves. Or learning the secret of what it really means and how important it is to obey Jesus whenever he commands. And the peace speaker is dramatically demonstrated here. He just says, peace. If he can calm the winds and the waves on the Sea of Galilee, my friend, whatever storm you are walking through today, he can speak peace to you. He can calm the storm, and that doesn't mean that some of the difficulties you face are immediately going to go away, but it does mean that you can walk in perfect peace because Christ can give that to you. You can rest in the midst of the storm. Or he can lift the storm, whatever he decides to do. But he can do it if you put your trust in him. The inanimate elements of this world show us how important it is to respond to the directions and the commands of Christ. And he rebukes the wind. And he rebukes the waves. And immediately the circumstances change. And the disciples on board, their response to this, they have never seen anything like this before, is number one, they are terrified. And number two, they said, who is this man? They didn't even know the man they were traveling with. They had seen some side of him now they had never seen before. It scared them. And they saw him rise up from their sleep and just say, be quiet. And they said, who is this? The wind and the waves obey him. Now, it really pays to have the peace speaker on board. That's what you can do in preparation. You may not know whenever the storm is coming to be able to prepare for it. But you can have the peace speaker on your boat no matter where you go. And you can do that today. You don't want to wait until you have problems and then go and try and find the peace speaker. Just take him with you on your journey. Every day, everywhere you go, prepared for every circumstance to know that your life is in his hands. That's the way you prepare for it. You're going to encounter unexpected storms. And there are many of you that are here today that you're in pretty good shape. But I cannot guarantee you that's going to last this week. I hope and I pray it does. 
But what about that storm that comes? Before you leave church today, wouldn't it be a wise thing to make sure that the peace speaker is on board your boat? No matter what comes. Wouldn't that be the judicious thing to do? Just to make preparations. Put the peace speaker on your boat. Now, you don't want certain people on your boat. You understand? You want the peace speaker. But there's some people you just don't want on your boat. I can take you back to a short book in the Old Testament that I don't know if you've ever thought about it or not. But the little story I've told you today, almost the anti-type of this story is found in the book of Jonah. Here's another man that boarded a ship and fell asleep and a storm came. Very similar stories. Similarities begin to end about there. Christ had a mission, a purpose that was godly. It was approved by God. Jonah was on the run. God had a purpose for his life. Go to Nineveh, preach to Nineveh, but Jonah didn't like Nineveh. They were wicked people. Jonah had this nasty attitude that wicked people ought to die and go to hell. We don't want them on our side. We just want to get rid of those people from this world. So he said, I don't want to go preach to Nineveh. They might repent. And we kind of sometimes get that nasty attitude about bad people, don't we? We wish the worst on them. We wish judgment on them. We wish hell upon them. But that's not what Jesus wants. It's God's will that all should come to repentance. We should understand that even your most vile enemy, do you pray for him or do you pray against him? Do you pray God save him or do you pray God would you just kill him now? This world doesn't need people like that. Well, that was Jonah's attitude. He falls asleep on this vessel and... The sailors are fighting to keep the the boat afloat in the midst of the storm. And they woke him up, and they said, You, pray to your God that he spares us. What they didn't know is Jonah wasn't on good talking terms with his God right now. He didn't have the right to be asking God anything. He was running from God. You don't run from God and then turn around and ask Him to spare you while you're still running from Him. you got to quit running and come running back to Him. Jonah wasn't done running yet. So the sailors did this odd thing. They cast lots, supposing that they would see by casting these lots who was exactly responsible for this storm And it just so happens, even though the practice is not necessarily something we would say that God had approved of, it seems as though God used whatever method they were using to divine this thing to point them to the fact that Jonah's the problem. And they surmised in their own little way with these lots and said, the lots say that you're the cause of this storm. And Jonah spilled his guts. He said, you're right, it's me. I'm running from God. God is judging us. And they said, what should we do? And he said, throw me overboard. 
I can't imagine being so self-sacrificing. But that's, Jonah at least had this moment of lucidity, this moment, a moment of honesty. He said, you men don't have a chance unless you just throw me off the ship and then God will be happy. So they talked amongst themselves and decided that was exactly the right thing to do. And they threw him overboard. There are some people you don't want on your boat. They bring storms into your life. They are not the kind of people that you want to be associated with. They are not the kind of people that bring you the kind of influence in your life that you need. You need to avoid taking on those kind of passengers in your life. They're no good for you. Now, you can be kind to them. You can be friendly to them. Just don't put them on your lifeboat and take them with you. You have to be careful, but you need the peace speaker. That's somebody you do need on your boat. With Christ, the peace speaker, plotting your course, I promise you, you're going to be in his constant care and supervision. With Christ on board your boat, you're going to always have somebody there that really does care about you. Even when the storms of life are raging, You need the peace speaker by your side. I think I lost you just a minute ago when I told you about getting rid of some of these people tipping your boat because I see some of you are still very fascinated by that. But you need to seriously take care of business. You need to get the bad off your boat. You need to get Christ aboard your boat. You need the peace speaker. He can do it. Bow your heads.